Hello, welcome to today's episode of Direct Mail Automation School, the podcast for marketers who are looking for an edge as they deploy direct mail and omni-channel marketing campaigns. I'm Dennis Kelly, CEO of Postalytics, the leading direct mail automation platform designed for marketers to deploy automated direct mail and omni-channel marketing campaigns with the speed, integration, and analytics of digital marketing. Today, we're joined by Leanne Wade. Uh, Leanne and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, she's a senior director of client service at Merge Boston, specializing in integrated marketing. Uh, she's a highly skilled marketer and she uh, deploys omni-channel marketing strategies uh, across lots of different channels, including direct mail to drive successful campaigns. Leanne's expertise extends to customer insights data analytics, omni-channel marketing, and measurable ROI-based strategies. She's a respected industry contributor, having published her work in prominent blogs and publications such as Target Marketing, Direct Marketing, Chief Marketer, Marketing Sherpa, and Mad Marketer. Leanne has also been featured as a speaker on the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, which we all remember, and recognized as an accomplished author and thought leader in the marketing field. Uh, welcome, Leanne. So psyched to have you on today. And uh, Thanks, we're excited to dig in on Direct Mail Automation School. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Uh, before we get uh, into kind of the deep marketing questions, uh, we'd love to start out uh, by hearing your story. You know, how did you become uh, the marketer that you are today? Uh, you know, tell us about your career path and how you ended up at Merge Boston. Sure. So um, always been intrigued with marketing in college. That's where it all started. But I, I got my first job at Arnold Worldwide um, and I worked on the McDonald's account managing the Hamburglar and the Ronald McDonald appearances. So that's how I got started. Then I the Hamburglar. Who can forget the Hamburglar? <laughs> you would not believe how much the Ronald McDonald makes at those magic shows. So anyway, that was a great experience from a marketing perspective, really exposed to a lot of great marketing programs, et cetera. And I worked on other accounts there too, John Hancock Insurance, Nabisco Brands, a host of, host of brands across different industries. And then I worked at a small agency for a few years and help build that agency. It was the hottest New England agency for one year. So that hit, we had some success there, which was terrific. But really a turning point in my career was um, when I started at Bronner Slasberg Humphrey, which is now Digitas. And um, it was just eye-opening in terms of the world of direct marketing. I really fell in love with it. And I love being able from an account standpoint, being able to really manage a program from the very beginning, from strategic all the way through to results and optimization. And so that's kind of the, like the genesis behind why I love it so much. It's from an account person, it's not just one area being, you got to manage like schedules and creative, it's all of the above. So I worked with a, a lot of smart people, um, lot, worked on accounts such as American Express and AT&T, did a lot of loyalty rewards programs. Um, and then I got recruited back to Arnold for my second stint in their direct division. So some technology startups, Staples was another, um, Volkswagen, uh, Verizon. So to name a few. And then I went back to a smaller agency called Wild Agency, which you're very familiar with, Dennis. That's how we got introduced. And that um, was part of Wild, which is now Universal Wild, which has its roots in 
direct mail production. So again, that's where I was exposed quite a bit to direct mail, but also how does direct mail fit within the larger marketing environment? I worked there for over a decade, which I cannot believe, and um, recruited Nancy Harhat, which I'm very proud of. And uh, she really helped, and in, in our, our, our whole agency really embraced the idea of leveraging human behavior triggers to help motivate response within marketing. We were quite successful there. And this is also where I think I got the most exposure to regulated industries such as healthcare, health insurance, financial services, and being able to figure out how to work within the marketing environment within those regulations. Um, so again, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, United Healthcare, Mass Mutual, Nationwide, to name a few. Um, and now for the past four years, I've been working at Merge. So Merge is, uh, as you said, uh, in Boston, but we're actually across the country in many different um, uh, offices. And we work in health, wealth, and happiness. So what does that mean? Healthcare, health insurance, pharmaceuticals, financial services, but also fun account, a fun industries such as retail, food, and technology. And so I manage um, campaigns for a lot of blues plans, Blue Cross of uh, New Jersey, but also about five states in the Midwest. So we work with them on everything: creative, media, measurement, strategies, etc. So that's where I am today. Well, that's great. You know, the, the health insurance industry is uh, a longtime player in direct mail and, uh, and, and now in, in omnichannel marketing. And uh, so really psyched to, to dive in with you here. Uh, you know, it's interesting with your background at uh, Bronner Sloshberg, uh, There's it seems like it was really a formative uh, agency for so many of today's leaders in direct mail and omnichannel, uh, that that folks really got to start there, and and it it, it launched uh, the industry in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. I would say so, and I think the biggest difference in terms of how clients worked with Broner at the time was that it wasn't just a vendor, but more of a partner in coming up with, like I said loyalty programs, et cetera. It wasn't just here, do this project. It was help us come up with the program. You find the partners, you do all the marketing and the data and, you know, the analytics behind it. So I think there was, um, it, it was just, it was more of a consulting firm than it was a marketing firm to, you in, know, in kind of dovetailed into both. So, yeah, um, and yeah. of course they're much more digitally focused now, uh, back sure. then, not so much digital, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it yeah. certainly evolved quite a bit. Yeah. Very, very influential. Um, you know, they, they, the, the firm really has left its mark, uh, on the industry. Um, Absolutely. so, uh, let's, let's jump in. So why is direct mail a channel that performs so well in, in healthcare and in, and in healthcare insurance? Like what, what is it? fundamentally about direct mail that, that just seems to work so well? Sure. So just a little bit of background on health insurance in particular. Um, it's not a trusted category. As you can imagine, um, in, in particularly I'd say over the past few years, co consumer confidence has actually been eroding um, with health insurance. Now, this could be because of the fact that health insurance is so expensive and it's so complicated. So put those th two things together and it's, and it's just a bad combination. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
So even given that, you know, people really need guidance and help to help navigate health insurance, whether it's signing up or even dealing with their claims or navigating the process if you have a health issue. Um, and so building trust is really the primary driver of, you know, consumer confidence. And um, direct mail dovetails with that. Now, why is that? Because direct mail is considered a trusted medium. And that's because it's tangible. It's something that you actually can hold in your hands, can get a lot more information. Marketers are able to communicate features and benefits in a much clearer fashion than, say, a social ad or a display ad or even a TV spot sometimes because there's just not enough real estate. So not only that, but people hold on to it and they can refer back to it. Um, so direct mail provides a number of different benefits, um, but it's really about well, they're sending me something. They're spending the money to do so. Maybe there's something here that I should pay attention to, if it's done in the right way, of course. Um, actually, just a little bit of an aside here. Merge has actually done a national trust survey over the past five years or so. And in the latest study, it, sh it, sh it shows that benevolence is the key factor in building trust. Well, what does that mean? Health insurance providers really need to provide uh, reasons as to why they care about the consumer. They have to take actions to really encourage them to say, look, you know, I care about you. I'm taking the actions to help you live a better life. Um, so how, again, does that turn back into marketing? Well, within direct mail, um, encouraging phone calls as well as visiting a portal or a secure site or a, you know, a very dedicated site for consumers to be able to act and get more information is critical. And then lastly, direct mail is a long shelf life. One of the programs that we do for our health insurance um, provider client is the initial direct mail that we send out. People actually hold on to it for the whole open enrollment period, which is about three months. And there's, there's response throughout that period of time. So it's incredible that people do pay attention if it's done the right way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting, um, and I'm I'm very intrigued about that trust survey. Uh, so what when we get to the end, we'll we'll uh, let the audience know how to get in touch and you know maybe get their hands sure. on the survey because uh, I I've seen some other uh, similar types of surveys and and there's been a general decline in trust in institutions uh, mm -hmm. across the country over the last several years. Uh, for a lot of reasons we don't need to get into, but yes. you know, with, with that, uh, it, it, it presents a challenge to marketers, right? Like how can I come across this trustworthy and, mm -hmm. and the choice of channel is an important part of that. Uh, and, and I've seen some other survey data that, that really shows how, uh, that in, in terms of consumer purchasing behaviors, that direct mail is really one of the top two or three trusted channels. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for all of us who've gotten, you know, email requests from, you know, spoofed, uh, you know, bank accounts and financial information that are trying to get your social security number and all those kind of things through digital channels, you know, having something that you're holding your hand from uh, uh, an institution that you know is, you know, really gives you that feeling. So it's, it's, it's obvious. Uh, but the data also backs it up. Right. And I'd say to millennials in particular, 
are responsive to direct mail because it is a novelty to them. They don't get as much. <laughs> so right. um, again, if it's done right, it, it you know it's it's certainly um, very valuable. That's right. That's right. You know, it, it goes back to what my mother taught me. You know, to to write a thank you note and mail it to somebody <laughs> after they give you a gift, uh, right? And and so that little extra touch is is meaningful. Yeah. It's it's been that way for a long time. Right. So right. We're talking about healthcare insurance and mm-hmm. the fact that it's it's really heavily regulated. So, how how does the fact that uh, that the industry is very regulated impact the way that you design and create and execute campaigns? Right. Uh, I, I'd imagine there's quite a bit of impact on the way personalization and data are used. So, so give us you know an overview, a sense of how regulation. Sure structures the way you work with these campaigns? Sure. So I'd say the first (laughs) regulatory body is called CMS, which stands for Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They're the regulatory board that actually um, provides all the guidelines in terms of how you market your health plan and actually how you sell it. Uh, There's a healthcare.gov, which is the federal marketplace, put in place about 10 years ago by Obamacare. That provides the ability for consumers to go in and purchase a plan. And and what it does is it provides all the information, pricing, et cetera, um, about the plans that are available to them in their area. So that's that's key. And we have to live within the confines of CMS. In addition to that, you may have heard of HIPAA rules, H-I-P-A-A. And what that is, is all about privacy. It protects the individuals from having their private health information and behaviors be sent out to anyone except for the trusted health providers as well as the insurance providers that they're a part of. So because of that, we can't just go out and use data or send data or incorporate data into marketing communications that contains any of the HIPAA or even access to the data. So that does provide a lot of restrictions and, you know, working within that. Uh, But again, it comes back to trust and care. You know, we want to be able to allow, you know, insurance providers who are marketing to their members or even prospects that we care about you. We're not going to divulge anything. And yet at the same time, we want to be relevant. So um, just looking at that, what information can we use? We'll call it non-HIPAA compliant, um, non-HIPAA data. And that could include things like your, the actual plan that you're on is okay. Of course, name and address, perhaps the number of years they've been with the provider, um, their gender, uh, and potentially their ethnicity, but done in a way that's relevant and respectful. Um, and also what services they might be a part of or not a part of within their insurance provider, such as are you an auto bill pay customer? Do you have dental or vision insurance? These are things that allow them to cross sell, but done in a way that, again, is respectful. So the other, other thing I would say is that not to be too presumptive in terms of how you're communicating with them. So, for instance, if you know something about, you know, maybe it's their age or, you know, you qualify for Medicare, but perhaps you don't want to say you qualify for Medicare, but if you are 
over the age of 65. So it's more about serving it up as a question or a query and allowing them to self-identify. So it's just being very careful about not being, hey, we know so much about you. It's more about providing the context enough for them to be able to say, yeah, this is for me and I'll, I want to learn more. Sure, sure. And that, that folds in really well with the whole idea around trust, right? That, mm-hmm. that you're using data in a smart way to you know, connect with the, the consumer, but you're not um, overusing it. And, and, and HIPAA helps to define that, right? Um, right. And, and I think everybody has become sensitized to HIPAA. Uh, you know, when you interact at the doctor's office and cer- only certain right. people can sign things and, you know, it, it, it really is impacted the way that we interact with the healthcare system in a lot of different ways. So, so people are very aware that, you know, their personal health information is private and, and it needs to be guarded and, and you need to be able to trust your providers to deal with it in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And so we as agencies with our clients, we cannot gain access to any of that information. We have, it's a, it either has to be anonymized or it's just the data that's, like I said, non-HIPAA. So um, there's a lot of rules and guidelines in place, even between, you know, business and entities that we have to consider. Sure, sure. Uh, you, you touched on something uh, a little bit earlier uh, when you mentioned uh, open enrollment. Um, so you know, from my experience, uh, open enrollment is this kind of, you know, big competitive time in, in the healthcare industry. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm an employer, I, I, you know, we provide healthcare insurance to our, our, our employees. And, you know, during the open enrollment period, there's a very intense communication going on, uh, a lot of back and forth, you know, we got to get these everybody kind of move along in, in a process here. Um, so, uh, so it's a it's a big deal in the health insurance world. Uh, how does multi-channel marketing help drive success uh, when you've got these periods of intense communication that you need to go through? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I would also um, just caveat that what you just referenced is like group insurance, where you might provide insurance for your employees, and there's only a set number of plans that they could have a- access to. My experience has been around individual health insurance, and so that's where self-employed individuals, freelancers, folks that don't have access to group insurance actually have to do all the work themselves, or they might tap into like a broker, for instance, to help them. So that's um, even more complex and confusing for them because during that open enrollment period, which usually starts November 1st and runs through January, depending on the state, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is very intense. And there could be a lot of um, insurance providers that are marketing to them or they see a lot of messages and all different media. So it, how do you stand out? <laughs> and um, yes, multi-channel is definitely the way to go. Obviously, we know that it gets better response than a single channel. But more importantly, consumers, they act in different ways. You know, they're, they're evaluating, they're considering, they're, they're doing their research, and they may do it in, in different ways. They may go to company websites, they may go to that federal insurance marketplace, they may, um, you know, do a search for it on Google or Bing, for instance. So there's lots of, or they may talk to family or friends or coworkers. So there's lots of different areas that they're, um, evaluating. And so marketers need to be where they're at. 
Um, and so traditionally, um, paid search has been a workhorse. And so, again, I was mentioning Googling. So you need to be there as a marketer. And traditionally, that's the majority of our spend. But very importantly, you know, you need other channels too. Uh, direct mail has been very successful for us, with, for us within combination of other channels. And again, I, I mentioned earlier about our one of the direct mail pieces for open enrollment that actually gets response all the way through open enrollment. It's actually garnered 40% response rate, which is unheard of. Wow. The reason why is that our provider, our insurance provider actually sends that letter out and it's got all their detail about their plan or their subsidies. They have to do it again because the data that they have is just you know HIPAA compliant for them. But we also do direct mail that's at the outset of open enrollment, as well as during that, I'll call it the urgency phase, which is right before the end of the year when most people respond. Um, and so combination of those direct mail pieces along with paid social, paid search, display, um, email, which is also very important in combination because direct mail and email are the channels where we can personalize the most. And I was mentioning some of those personalization data points earlier. Um, as much as we can be relevant around what plan they have, where they might need to review their plan, or um, in the in the world of prospects, we don't have as much data, of course. So it's more about being relevant in other ways, um, such as if we know, you know, what their gender is, age, you know, there might be ways that we can personalize through imagery, et cetera. Um, but I would say that um, what's very important from a marketing standpoint within all those channels is to educate them, let them know what dates to be concerned about, let them know when they're bumping up against deadlines because people do procrastinate. They wait until the last minute. So there's a whole phase of communications that we design during that open enrollment period. And like I mentioned, direct mail is critical during key parts, having that always on type of messaging with paid search, paid social email and aligning all the communications um, based on segmentation and personalization. Um, I would say those are the things that I can think of in terms of how multi-channel works. And I would just say one other thing, because we do analysis all throughout, we're always optimizing. We're changing up cadence of communications. Um, one of the things with direct mail that we've done is we actually learned um, for at least our Blue Cross client that has majority market share that direct mail works best for members because it is an expensive channel. And with prospects, it just wasn't paying out. So for us, we optimized out of it and we use it for members only today. It, it makes a lot of sense because when you have an existing relationship with an organization, uh, all the data really shows that uh, the direct mail response rates are just so much higher uh, and, and uh, and that's really across industry uh, that that when mm -hmm. when there's an existing relationship with a brand, uh, uh, consumers really uh, react to the fact that they're getting something in the mail from that brand. Uh, so that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. And I, I should also say, and you probably know this, Dennis, with your direct mail background, letter packages work the best. Um, being less promotional works the best. Um, being as, like I said, relevant, as customer service oriented as possible. And people, for the most part, for members, they want to call. That's their main, you know, communications uh, response channel. So um, 
because that personal touch is so important and that guidance, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think letters in particular, when you're dealing with a complex subject where, where you know, you need the real estate, you, you need to be able to um, talk about things at a level of depth that, uh, you know, not a lot of channels give you. And, and letters do that. You've got multiple mm-hmm. pages that you can really explain something and, 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 and make complex things digestible uh, in, in a letter. Um, right. Where, you know, we see a lot of folks, they'll use postcards in a scenario like what you're discussing, mm-hmm. like as, as the date reminder, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, it's important to remember this date that you can grab that postcard and, you know, stick it in your calendar or, you know, on a, on a board somewhere or something to remind you to do something. You, you can't get into all the detail of the complexity of the, of, of choice in healthcare and a right. postcard or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and just to add to that too, for members, again, I'm speaking members where you have more data, people don't want to have a, have to work too hard. So the more that you can give them information about their status, you know, again, what their plan is, whether they have dental or vision, whether, you know, how do you make their life a little bit easier so that when they may need to look at a claim or deal with a health issue, they have the appropriate coverage and benefits that they need. So it's really about plan understanding helping them optimize their plans because we want to keep them as a member. And I'll just say in the backdrop of health insurance, it's more and more competitive than ever. More big names have come into the individual marketplace because it's been um, successful because of all the subsidies that have gone on over the past few years. So, you know, healthcare and Aetna with CVS partnership, et cetera, they've all kind of gone into these new markets that have really, um, made it much more competitive. So how do you keep those members, especially if you're a market leader within your area? That's great. That's great. Um, you know, let's turn a little bit to uh, response channels. Uh, you know, we've seen mm-hmm. across our customer base over the last five or six years, uh, a pretty dramatic rise in the use of, of response tools that drive folks online. And, and so, uh, QR code usage has exploded, uh, personalized URLs, vanity URLs, uh, and, and, you know, all of which are driving people to landing pages, uh, that, that, um, folks interact with and fill out forms and, and continue on in a process. Uh, so, you know, we're seeing that, uh, kind of across the board, uh, in the industries that we work with. Um, but I'm curious, are, are you seeing a similar type of uh, movement in, in, in your customer base? And are, is there anything that sticks out in your mind that, you know, you think is particularly successful or interesting for the audience? Yes, I agree with you. Explode, I would say an explosion or resurgence of QR codes have happened over during COVID, really, when people were more remote and they needed access to information. So one of the things that we did last year for our blue, our large Blue Cross client is we incorporated QR codes into our letter packages, which we had not done before. And we're curious as to how it would work. And we tracked it, of course, separately to be able to measure that. And we got about 10% response with respect to, of all the landing page visits, 10% came from the QR codes. 
our vanity URLs within our member letters didn't work so well. We don't know why. We think we, they'd just rather call. But for whatever reason, the QR codes worked. <laughs> so I think it was just easier. Rather than typing in, I'll give you an example, horizonblue.com backslash we're here. Too much work. They're just going to type in Horizon Blue. But a QR code, because it's all embedded in our phones, they're just going to use it. So it worked out really well. Um, so we're continuing that. And um, I would also say just with QR codes, use them appropriately. Like I wouldn't put it on a billboard or anything. And, you know, as long as it's in the right context and taking them to a good experience, a mobile experience, you know, um, because that's probably for the most part, they're using their phones. So it's a mobile environment. Um, so I'd say, yes, um, continue to look for QR code use um, in the appropriate environments. Um, in addition to that, vanity URLs have been, or should I say, maybe not vanity URLs for us, but more about dedicated landing pages with the right experience has been very important. And we're amping that up this year, um, where we're designing dedicated landing pages um, with streamlined content, the right content, whether it's putting testimonials in there or making certain that the calls to action are very clear and that there's not too much information on the page and directed to the right segments, whether it be members or prospects. Believe it or not, our experiences weren't that great in the past. So this year we're amping that up. So we recognize the need for a better ex online experience based on the creative that we're providing them. Um, and so that's something that's a, in, increased effort that we're using this year. Well, that makes perfect sense, really, if you think about it, that, you know, folks are uh, using mobile devices to hit QR codes uh, and, and whatever that experience is that they land on, uh, there's not a lot of real estate. Uh, the, the, the point of the page that you're dealing with has to be crystal clear immediately. And if you have to do too much work, you're gonna leave. You know, it's, it's, yes. you're on a phone, you're, you're moving quickly, you know, Hey, mm -hmm. I, I got more Instagram reels to look at. So, you know, you better give, give me something good here. So, uh, but, but it makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, we're seeing that as well. Uh, we're seeing a, a, a pretty steep rise in customers that are using, uh, our personalization tools in the landing page that, people hit after they scan their QR just to, you know, zero in and, and help the audience uh, move through that step onto the next step mm -hmm. as quickly and efficiently as possible. And, and so having that match between, you know, personalization on the direct mail piece and then personalization on the landing page can really streamline that, that whole process. Uh, and and I'll, I'll just add one other thing that we're seeing internally through our own direct mail efforts, just like what you said, uh, QR codes and letters mm -hmm. really kind of taken off. Uh, we're mm -hmm. seeing, you know, really good response rates through our own efforts uh, using Postalytics and, and incorporating, you know, big QR code response right inside of a letter. Never really thought of it before, you know, a longer form uh, thing. But again, you know, people just want that convenience to quickly and easily say, yeah, let's let's do this and, and go. So uh, all that makes perfect sense and is aligned with what we're seeing out there as well. Yeah. And I think Dennis, 
what you've said about um, making that landing page experience personalized to them. I mean, that's the ideal. Love to do that. We don't, we're not there yet in our program, but it does make perfect sense. Taking any friction out of that process and making it relevant specifically to that individual is the ideal environment. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, So uh, one interesting thing that uh, I'd love to explore with you, um, you know, in the healthcare insurance marketplace, you are out talking to lots of different types of audiences. And, you know, as as, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, has become a bigger deal in the way that we communicate uh, mm-hmm. from uh, corporations to consumers, you know, how do those principles apply and are, are they being used in in the strategies that you're seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for all the blues plans that I work with, they all have DE&I initiatives in place, as most corporations do nowadays. So how does that translate to marketing? So what we've done with one of our blues plans is we actually created guidelines for them now, we work collaboratively because it is, it's an ongoing process. It's not a one and done because the world changes so significantly so quickly. And it varies based on the product or the service that you're providing. So um, I would say that as a whole, with one of our Blues plans, the guidelines that we set up is to ensure that we have that mix of diversity while doing it, again, in a respectful way. So um, obviously ethnicity, language preferences, LGBTQ, um, even um, those that are disabled, you know, or, or challenged. Um, the, all those things in combination have to be taken into consideration, but at the same, di- same time, not make it look too heavy handed. It done in a way that's relevant to them. And so it doesn't, it's not easy <laughs> and everyone has their own opinions. But again, if you set up some guidelines, what both from imagery, language preferences, even like the channels that you're using based on the, the cultural preferences of those individuals or groups. And it's, it's, it's complex and, and it's, something that you have to consider. I'm going to give you an example of a campaign that I'm working on right now. It's not OEP. It's, um, you might've heard of Medicaid redetermination, but over the course of the last few years, because of COVID, the government held off on evaluating those that are currently on Medicaid, the, the, the government assistance program, and they didn't take them off of Medicaid. Now they're starting to do so because of COVID kind of going away and looking at those that may no longer qualify. There's gonna be a number of, a large in, large number of individuals over the next year. So these insurance providers need to let them know you're being terminated for Medicaid, but you're going, you're able to go onto a new insurance plan and we're gonna help you sign up, okay? A large majority of those individuals are Hispanic. So what we're doing is we're coming up with a campaign that um, speaks to them in a very relevant way. Culturally sensitive, language preferences from all the communications all the way down to the landing page and Spanish speaking um, reps to help them from the beginning to the end. And so it's it's an, it's you know it's a very thoughtful uh, marketing process, but that's just an example of how you take a group and make certain that you're being relevant to them. So I would just say that um, it's an ongoing process and and we do things um, from like imagery, as I mentioned, language, 
making certain that we speak to them where they are, whether it be laundry, you know, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples, very place-based out of home, like laundry areas where we know certain groups are, or even um, some out of out of home placements where we know certain groups or individuals are more apt to be. And again, speaking to them in a way that's relevant. So it's a number of different initiatives, but I would say that if you have guidelines in place to help at least sing from the same song sheet and then work and hone it over time, at least you have a, a touch point to be able to start those initiatives. Sure. Sure. And you know, a lot of things that you mentioned, if you, if you take a step back and, remove DE&I from them, they're really marketing fundamentals, right? It, it's mm-hmm. it's be where your audience is going to be and speak to them in a relevant way. And it's it's and a lot of the things you discuss are kind of uh, a form of personalization, really. And, and so, yes. uh, yeah. you know, you're able to learn preference, you're able to learn language and, and, and hone messages to, you know, resonate with particular audiences. And, and so, you know, it, it, it all makes perfect sense. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like you said, it's something that has to be done in a tasteful and, and thoughtful yep. way. And, yep. and, and all of your, all of your channels have to, um, be in sync. Uh, and, right. if, if one isn't and, and, uh, you know, you've got different service providers, you got different folks that are working from, uh, a, a different set of guidelines, then it's not going to work. So, you know, what you're saying right. about establishing those principles and, and laying down those guidelines uh, to, to be used across all your different channels, it, it makes perfect exactly. sense. Exactly. And using um, and tapping into resources as you might need, whether it be multicultural agencies or um, individuals or, or group or, or firms, I should say, that can work in the different cultural cultures and languages like we're even doing some polish mandarin language communication so you really need to kind of make certain you're doing it correctly you can't make mistakes <laughs> it's really going to hurt you um and also just one last example from a direct mail perspective that we did last year for oep is that we have flags in our data as to whether um someone might be african-american or um Hispanic or Caucasian. And so we, and and again, it's just a nod, but we would do imagery that's personalized based on those individuals. So at least some relevancy is is noted here. Even if you can't maybe go all the way in with language preferences, you can at least provide some relevancy from an image standpoint. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and with, with all of the capability to, um, you know, use variable data print and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the more modern tech-based approach to direct mail, you know, you can streamline your production efforts and, and have used software uh, yeah. to, you know, drive a lot of that uh, personalized imagery uh, mm-hmm. for the same, essentially the same creative, right, but, but across different audiences with images that are defined to speak to them directly. That's right. With that variable data print was definitely used in that instance. Sure, sure. Well, great, uh, uh, Leanne. This has been uh, really interesting. Uh, you know the the dynamics that uh, you work with in uh, in health insurance are uh, unique uh, to the extent that they're they're. 
I think a little bit more intense than uh, a lot of other industries that uh, mm-hmm. that that are out there. Uh, and 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 you know, in terms of the audience that that we speak to, I think some of the ways that you approach this are, um, you know, have to be honed uh, more deeply and more carefully uh, because of the regulated nature of the industry and 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 all the different dynamics that we uh, just talked about. So. Uh, I really thought this was great. Really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and speaking to the audience today. Um, you know, if anyone in the audience wants to get in touch, uh, if, if anyone's interested in that uh, trust survey that that merges mm-hmm. uh, developed or, or any of the other uh, content that uh, you can provide, uh, you know, how would folks best get in touch with you and, and interact with Merge? Sure. So um, Merge is mergeworld.com. That's the website. And they could reach out to me directly if they're interested in the trust survey. Um, it's lwade at mergeworld.com. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. So um, if that's easier, Leanne Wade. So yeah, I'd be happy to share any other information that they might want. And yes, that trust survey um, is certainly something I could share. That's great. And we'll, we'll um, uh, uh, include all of that information in the show notes uh, for folks as well. So okay. uh, again, Leanne, thank you so much. This was really fun. Uh, I'm glad that we're able to spend this time together and uh, uh, really appreciate your expertise and and all the knowledge that you're able to share today. All right, Dennis, it was fun. Nice talking to you.